happening now. We'd like to welcome our viewers from the United States and around the world. You're listening and maybe even watching the EdTech Situation Room for October the 12th, 2016. My name is Wes Fryer, and I am joining from Oklahoma City, and I am the Director of Technology at the Cassidy School. Miguel noticed as we were talking earlier, I've got my my Google uh, fleece on, uh, not necessarily because I was going to be pro-Google tonight, but because we've had a blast of cool air that makes it actually feel like fall, but I think it's going to be back in the 90s, and I don't think Miguel has quite felt that yet. So I want to welcome our special guest who is making a return to the EdTech Situation Room. How is life in San Antonio, Miguel? Hey, Wes. I'm so excited to be here online with you and, and the rest of the world. Uh, I was checking your, your viewership, and, and it is a stunning, uh, what was it, 14, 7, 44? I, I'm sorry to pick on you like that. My son said to do that. He wants you to know that his his show, Cooking with James, has more viewers and subscribers than, than your show does. And he that just gave him an immense an immense source of pride for him in the in a few minutes before the show began. So San Antonio is wonderful over here. Uh as you know, I'm a director of professional development for TCEA.org. Anything I say from this point forward is not affiliated with TCA unless unless you want to recognize how wonderful and, and great an organization it is, and you're attending TCA 2017 convention. Registration is already open. And by the way, Wes, I, I noticed that you're wearing like a purple jacket, and uh, I'm wearing purple too um, because, you know, purple is Microsoft's color. Did you know what? that? No, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, the, it's the color of royalty and, and the color of the Wildcats of Kansas State. So I don't know anything okay. about Microsoft. Well, I think we may have some good Microsoft banter tonight. Um, and, uh, you know, for James, we, we are really more of an audio show than we uh, are uh, a live viewing show. But, hey, we had, we had a couple live viewers that stayed with us the whole time. And, in fact, um, I'll DM you this, but we, we did – I did – finally figure out how to get the pop-up link for the chat room. And so we do have live chat. And so um, if, if you are joining us live, feel free to participate in our live chat. Uh, for those of you that may uh, be new to the show or whether you're new or old, you can head over to edtechsr.com and click the links link that is very cleverly named to access the show notes and the articles that we're going to be talking about. Uh, our format is generally to take a look at some recent news articles and then put a educational lens to those and uh, kind of visit a little bit about what's happening in the world of technology as it relates to, to education. So, but Miguel, I've, I don't think... Um, I don't think I've really had a chance to visit with you a lot since you have started the gig with, with TCEA. Um, man, you have come a long way since some of the, some of the days when <clears throat> Web 2.0 was not embraced warmly by all the leadership of TCEA. And uh, do you still feel like you're, uh, you know, a, a blogger with a cause, uh, you know, fighting the good fight, or or have you have you succumbed and you know with your Microsoft affiliations now, are you just part of the empire? Is that what's happened? <laughs> you know, I I think that uh, uh, we we've, we've seen a transformation happen over a period of time, and it's been pretty awesome to see that happen because it's like. Uh, 
you know, I still remember the times when podcasting was was not something that was very popular or or necessarily encouraged in lots of different venues. You think about all the ISTE uh, conferences, just about everywhere you went, uh, Wes, remember? Uh, please leave your uh, recording device at the door. Don't turn it on. And now those things are widely supported and uh, uh, actually have been become part of the institution. They, I guess we've all been institutionalized. Uh, no. But uh, we, it, it has been a lot of fun seeing that, that change. So the question... I mean, do you continue to fight for the causes that have already been won and then refocus your efforts and energies? And you know what's so neat about technology is that it's always changing. And to, you know, I think we were sort of uh, discussing this earlier. It's like, think about it. Um, back in the old days, Apple was riding high, and then they went down. And then someone else stepped in, and Windows ruled computer labs for so long, where before we'd had Apple IIe's and early Macs, and now everything is just continues to change. Now we've, we're seeing the ascendance of Chromebooks because they're such great testing devices. I was having a conversation oh, with somebody. I'll drop the link in the in the thing where I went on a Diane Ravitch. I don't know if you you read her. Uh, I think it was democracy, something about technology being bad and evil. Did you see that one? No. I'll, I'll see if I can drop it in the chat in a little bit. Uh, but it, it was a pretty amazing article because it, it basically said we were just, she was quoting Todd Oppenheimer and talking about how the all the technology is evil and, and, and because we're spending money on that instead of teachers and everybody else. And, mm-hmm. and one of the... Um, uh, Microsoft Innovative Expert Education Experts, uh, which is a really a global community of, of educators that are committed to using or transforming teaching and learning through, with through the use of Microsoft tools, was talking about how he really wanted some research. I think it was Mark Helios. He was talking about he wished he had some research to change to sort of throw back at Diane. And it was like, my gosh, the research has been out there for forever. And um, uh, you know, we're, we're fighting old battles again, with, but the technology has changed, but the instructional approaches haven't. So it's just a, it, it's amazing as you look back over the years. And I know you can go back down those years with me and come all the way forward, and you, you see how things have changed, but yet still remain the same. Well, there was, um, a, there was, there was a really important article in Time Magazine on August 31st called uh-huh. Screens in schools are a $60 billion hoax, and uh, we took that on um, on episode 22 on September the 14th. But, yes, there were all kinds of quotes, um, you know, from, oh, um, uh, the flickering mind, Todd Oppenheimer, and, uh, you know, yeah. a, bun- a bunch of other folks. And, and there, are, there are some things that he gets right, but then there's a ton of – things that he gets wrong and some some of these just wanting to paint with a broad brush brush you know tech bad you know cursive good i mean yeah there's <laughs> some things that i don't know we can also paint some of that in the change bad status quo good that, that people hold on to so i'm gonna have to check that out diane ravich may be letting us down maybe we'll have to to tweet her and and let her know we'll have to straighten her out yeah i, I mean it's amazing so all right, well, I'm going to kick us off with uh, an article from the Wall Street Journal on October the 3rd. This was called How Google's Bicycle Riding Internet Tutors Are Getting Rural Indian Women Online. And uh, basically, you know, Google is striving to, 
bring as many people into the online community as possible. Facebook is as well. They're, you know, different kinds of, of crazy projects like, you know, putting these big balloons up in the Southern hemisphere to float over parts of, uh, of uh, the Southern hemisphere that doesn't, that don't have connectivity. So they have at least 3g connectivity. And the thing that reminds me that the subtitle is since the programs launched last year, about 9,000 guides have helped reach 1 million women. And it talks about, you know, things that, that they're searching for, you know, from, um, you know, sewing, designing, um, Mahindi, the elaborate henna designs Indian women get on their hands and feet, uh, looking up information on how to sew a blouse, uh, having access to recipes. Oh my gosh, you know, the internet, uh, it, it may seem like a small thing, but you know, it's definitely transformed. Not, I'm, I say that, yeah, as if we're some fancy, yeah, we have, we still have tacos almost every week, but <clears throat> you know, there have been definitely recipes I've made and things that I've done that, you know, I, we wouldn't have been able to do. Wait, 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 wait. Did you just say you don't want taco stands on every corner in no, America? I, would, I, I could eat tacos every night, Miguel. And, and I can, when you come to Oklahoma City, I will take you to the best dollar fifty tacos you've had this side of the border. Although that probably is, <laughs> that's probably a tall. The same side I'm on. <laughs> that's a taller. No, I'm saying when I lived in Mexico, there were some that were uh, just, I would, I would drive the whole way to Mexico City just to, just to uh, eat those tacos. But I digress. So uh, anyway, this article was was basically uh, talking about the push to get folks online. It's that's kind of interesting in light of what we were just talking about with ed tech and arguments because, you know, the 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 shiny sparkle of technology and oh, we just have to get everyone online and and you know suddenly the world's problems will be solved. I mean, we definitely have dissenters for that, but. You know, articles like this point out what a transformative thing it can be to have access. Uh, our family, uh, my wife is actually on fall break all this week. Um, Rachel and I just just had Friday and Monday off, which I'm thankful for. But we drove down to uh, Hunt, Texas, to Mo Ranch, and spent the night in Comfort, Texas, so not too far away from your neck of the woods. Whenever I drive through rural Oklahoma, rural Texas, rural Kansas, anywhere, <clears throat> you know, I'm just reminded about connectivity and, and how powerful it can potentially be and perhaps you know what life was like when the library locally was it in terms of or you know or maybe bookstore for a lot of uh, for a lot of folks so I don't know any any comments about Google and their efforts to connect the the, the, the disconnected parts of absolutely the yeah definitely I, I you know I, I dropped a quote into the chat that I that for me sort of captures this and I just have to share this experience uh, this this past weekend um, I, I don't know if, if you're aware of it but um, my mom is 87 she's about to turn 88 and uh, in November and uh, she's you know she's older in assisted living center and uh, but she still has friends and my aunts actually uh, that live in the Republic of Panama and uh, it, we, we think you know it's so amazing when you can just pick up the phone, your cell phone, call them up. But it's even more amazing when you can connect on WhatsApp and and send pictures and video and uh, and make those connections with them. And, you know, I think we underestimate the power of being able to connect uh, with, each, with each other. It, and, uh, and just as you point out, I mean, women want to learn how to use Facebook, WhatsApp, messaging service. How powerful is that? 
connect and bring people together. You know, that's what technology is about. If it's not bringing us together, what's the point? So I, I really think that that is the... That's, that's what's so exciting about these technologies. In fact, uh, one of the geeks of the week, I don't, I don't want to give it away. No, you, you, can, you can jump ahead. You, you have three, so hey, get, get, get started. That's right. I'll, I'll just throw this one out there. Is the Google uh, Duo. You know, I, all privacy concerns aside, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of privacy concerns with Google Duo and all of, or is it maybe the Allo service that it had? But, yeah, and remind, um, remind people what that is because uh, I've heard of that, but I, I am not a user. So tell us, tell us what that is. So Duo is um, a, a, think of it as FaceTime for uh, Android as well as iOS devices. Okay. And so before, you know, iOS uh, users were, you, you couldn't FaceTime Android users, but now you can. And it's such a powerful uh, app. I, I used it uh, one evening to have a conversation with my daughter. Completely blew my mind how easy it was. For I was like, I was there in her kitchen while she's cooking dinner, and you know, sh- sure, we could do this with Skype, we can do this with Google Hangouts, or all, appear in all the million different ones. But I had never seen it work so well between Android and iOS as I did with with uh, Duo. Um, I think. And isn't Skype- it wonderful when that bar gets elevated and things actually get easier rather than harder? I mean, that's the yeah. direction that should be going, right? Yeah, and if you look at the Duo app, I was like expecting tons of settings and features, and you know, I was, I was thinking I was going to run into something like YouTube Live, where you, you have to figure out what the heck, which settings to hit or buttons to push, or what you know, what hidden panels there are. Duo is just drop dead easy. You just hit the button, you dial, call somebody if they have the app they're in, and right away you're broadcasting. And it's that easy. And that's how easy it needs to be. I, I, I used to really enjoy complexity. But I realize now that the majority of people don't care. They just want it to work and, and make oh, it as easy as possible. Miguel, do you remember PGP back in the day? I mean, we were oh, yeah. we were exchanging pretty good privacy messages. Uh, this would have been like circa 97, 98. And, uh, you know, fe- feeling like, ooh, we've, you know, we've encrypted something. We've sent something secret back and forth. But when things remain that geeky, they will remain distant to the majority of folks. This is the Everett Rogers technology adoption curve in terms of early adopter innovator with early majority, yeah. late majority. Right. So, yeah, it's uh, thing. It's yeah, it's interesting with being a tech director now and working with firewalls and these kind of things. I'm some of this has made me say, "Are you kidding me? It's this you know complicated and difficult, really? You know, you can't make this a little simpler." So it's our, not. It's a lot easier now. It, it used to be a lot harder a few years ago, but it's gotten incredibly easy. Uh, that's why I think the tech director's job has changed so much. It's, it's become more about uh, relationship building and connecting and getting out of your silo uh, rather than than the other more techy stuff. And in, in fact, uh, but you know, so Duo is just a wonderful uh, uh, app and and definitely worth sharing. But we connected with um, my aunt, who is actually um, a teacher friend of my mom's, and she's in the Republic of Panama. And this lady is in her 80s as well, and she's using WhatsApp. And you think about it. She's 80-something years old, and she's using WhatsApp to send pictures and connect. Oh, awesome. it, it's just awesome. And she's in, a country, in, in the Republic of Panama. It's like I know I'm probably – 
it's Latin America. They don't have internet connections and all that stuff, but they do. So, and it's all through mobile phones. It's, it's, everybody's got a mobile device. Everyone's connected. And that's what's so powerful about this article about getting these women connected because they get connected. They connect to their kids, their families, and that's how it spreads. And who teaches, who teaches their kids all this technology? Yeah. And that's, and that's important for us not to forget because it's so often, I, I listen, by the way, shout out to Diana Brenner and Peggy George who are live and they're in our chat room saying hi. Thank you all for, for joining us. Uh, head over to edtechsr.com uh, slash links if you'd like to, uh, Check out our show notes and please drop any, any questions or, or thoughts that you all have and we'll try to give those voice as we're having our, our little dialogue tonight. Um, I think we, I, I watched the Steve Hargadon Classroom 2.0 Confessions of an EdTech Revolutionary, uh, night before last, I think. And it was pretty interesting. He was doing a lot of reflecting about, you know, the ways in which, uh, technology institutions and bureaucracies kind of absorb things for their own purposes. And you mentioned testing and Chromebooks. And we do see probably all around us these potentially disruptive technologies and really, you know, powerful tools that could be used in such wonderful ways to connect students to, you know, experts and to each other and to be social and, and really to change up uh, many of the dynamics that we traditionally think of school being a, a content delivery experience, a banking model, if you will. Um, and so I, I, I read this article and I think about how important that is too. Um, my wife is, is wanting to, she, they're about to do bats. Of course it's Halloween, you know, but, the, but she was, she was giddy with excitement last night finding these different, you know, folks that are into bats and bat conservation and preservation and, you know, wanting to uh, find somebody who might Skype her kids to, to talk a little bit about the real bats, you know, not vampires, but, you know, what are, what are real bats like? And I think that excitement and that potential for technology to, to connect us, I mean, we, we, we can go back to, uh, what was it, over – over the pond or something and through the fiber you know that that was that was a magical time where we were connecting to you and macintosh and to darren and you know those those experiences can be powerful that's right yeah mark all mark mark allness out in seattle i can't tell you how many times i've I've quoted mark allness from that time from from that one uh i must have mentioned him uh, i don't know half a dozen times uh, when uh, chatting about uh, how he was isolated in Seattle, Washington at his school, and he was the only one using t- these technologies, but then he was connected to a whole world of people that were excited and using it. And, and uh, I still remember all that. It, it's like, and, and you realize when you look, you don't realize it while it's happening, but that that becomes sort of like, uh, what's the right word? Seminal experience, the, mm-hmm. the, yeah. The, the seed from which everything flows or, or comes from, and you just don't know it when it's happening. Yeah. But then later down the road, you look back and you say, wow, this really impacted me in a way that I never imagined. And I don't know if you remember, but Mark was kind of timid about sharing this because he was he was pointing it out. And I don't I think he was worried about sharing that, maybe overawed that he was right. chatting with. Wes Fryer. No, that no, wasn't silly like that. But no, he was. And then, and then the ways in which, he, you know, blogging and writing and having his kids, you know, express their voice. I, I, 
I'm energized by that, and I know that part of what we need to do is encourage teachers to have those kinds of experiences. Because once you, it's like tasting the ice cream or, or the lemonade, or I don't know what the right analogy is, but I mean, the tacos, perhaps. Once you've had that savory of a taco, you know right. the Taco Bell is not even scratching the surface of what it can be. Hey, um, hey, 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 Taco Bell, come on. I love Taco Bell. Okay, they're bean all right. Dough, they're, they're Dorito chip. They tacos. are re- they are reinventing themselves. I, I took uh, our daughter Sarah there recently. So, all right. Well, um, let's. Uh, why don't, let- question, Wes. Um, so I'm I'm looking at the group chat on the Google Hangout. But that's not the right one, is it? Because I don't see Diane or Peggy yeah, out there. Yeah, it's not. And I thought that I had found. I thought that I had put that text to the live chat, but that's that's not it. So on a separate laptop, I actually paused and then. Yeah, I just I I went to the, our live page and that's where I'm seeing the the chat. So I, uh, Diane had asked a question: Is um, Duo replacing Hangouts? No, uh, Google Hangouts are now integrated in with YouTube Live, and so on your channel you you click on Live Streaming and there's a little sidebar link that says Events, and you can schedule an event. And when you start an event, there uh, are two choices: you can choose to do a, a Google Hangout like we're doing now, or you can be fancier with an encoder and really lots of more geeky stuff that I'm not messing with. Um, and so anyway, I don't think that that's one critique I have I, is that they don't appear to have made it easy at all to uh, – Miguel, if you just go – do you have a second screen I, that you can go to? Well, Wes, the reason I'm shaking my head is that if you do a quick search on Duo replacing Hangouts, you're, you're going to come up with Duo is replacing Hangouts in Google's batch of pre-installed apps. Google Duo replaces Hangouts in apps package for Android. This is Google's. And then uh, Google is demoting Hangouts to optional in Google Apps. And uh, Google Duo, well, you get the message, right? Oh, my gosh. Um, Okay. Thank you, Miguel, for Wes takes his foot out of his mouth. No, 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 no. What I was pointing out is that that, uh, um, (laughs) Diane asked a a Google question here or or a Bingable question. And so – the uh, I, I guess the the question is here is uh, are, is Duo I mean Duo is so drop dead easy it's like we should be okay. using that instead of Hangouts and so, I'm not even I, knowing I haven't even used Duo what am I thinking I am so behind the times this is why I hang out with people like Miguel Gulen and Peggy George by the way because they are on the cutting edge I'm serious right. I haven't even downloaded it I I don't even yeah. I know nothing about it so okay well. I, I, if you want to feel really bad, I, I told my son, uh, who of course has a show called Cooking with James. Uh, You'll have to I put knew, a link. Put a link to it. Well, I wish I knew where the where the chat was so that I could post a link to it. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, put it in. Yeah. All right. I'll. I'll. Well, just put it in the Google Doc or whatever. Put it wherever you want. I'll copy it over. Okay, so, um, but he said, I, I told him, yeah, I'm going to try out YouTube Live uh, with, with Wes Fryer. He, actually, he heard your voice because I was listening to last the previous episode. And uh, he said, is that Wes? That's like, Wes, do you realize that my son knows your, your, your voice well, without even seeing your picture? That's, that's amazing. That's what happens when your buddies, yeah, get to stay at your house sometimes. <laughs> so, um, anyway. But tell James not to years. judge us. It's been years. He shouldn't judge us based upon our YouTube subscriptions. So, for the record, uh, we have uh, – this, this is a bit of a pet peeve. My favorite place now to um, house podcasts is Amazon S3, the Amazon cloud. Uh, uh-huh. And we're, we're having an average of 204 downloads per day of EdTech SR. So, 
you know, that's that's pretty respectful. Now, it doesn't tell you how many people listen to the whole thing, but in the last month, it cost us all of 24 cents to have uh, 3.6 gigabytes of downloads. So, anyway. That's cool. Yeah. It's, it's it make at least more sense in advertising? You know, we've talked about maybe monetizing it, you know, maybe maybe trying to do that. We, we haven't gone down that road yet. Um, I don't know well, at what point you reach the, oh, yes, advertisers would love to reach your two, you know, 200 possible viewers. That Well, well, James has already made four cents. That means he's made four cents more than you. Isn't that amazing? I'm going to tell him that. That's going to blow his mind. My son made a channel called String and Me where he did, like, the uh, oh. Jacob's Ladder and these others, and that has continued to generate more Google AdSense revenue than any other thing we've done online. Uh, it doesn't quite pay for college, but uh, yeah, it's a check that comes every every, every little bit counts. That's it great. Does. It does. Okay, so um, yes, if you Miguel, if you have another screen that you can go to, um, uh, oh, to Peggy go. says the chat blocks web addresses, huh? Um, I don't know if I can change that, Peggy. Um. Hmm. Oh, there's pop-out chat. Okay, I found pop-up chat. That's good. Huh. Peggy says that um, taco trucks are being used to register voters in Phoenix. That is awesome. That makes perfect sense. I, I just and I just want to go on record that um, I've I've decided to vote for for one of the candidates. <laughs> okay, we're going to be careful there, though. So it's it's easy. <laughs> Wait, to, we uh, are you worried we might alienate? At half of the viewership. Isn't it crazy? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, great. I'm glad you're going to vote, Miguel. That is a, that is a good sign. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about artificial intelligence if we, if we can. Um, I have two article links that uh, we've dropped in. The first one is venture capitalist Mark Andreessen explains how AI will change the world from Vox on October 5th. And then this one I will, in full disclosure, admit I have not read yet, uh, but will be. Uh, Barack Obama talks AI, robocars, and the future of the world. And this is a Wired article from this month. Um, the Mark Andreessen article, though, is um, is pretty stunning. Um, and, and I'm going to toss this question to you, and we'll get into some other things. But it, he's, he says that, uh, well, the, the AI is going to be a real game changer in terms of the type of investment that you're going to need. And it's not just going to be the Amazons and the Googles and the Apples that are going to be able to leverage really disruptive products that are going to, going to make a huge difference. Machine learning and, and AI are going to be able to do that. But it says that the Amazon Echo um, was the result of 1,500 engineers working for four years in order to get that. Uh, do you have an Amazon Echo, Miguel? And are you at all concerned about your phone listening to you and giving all of these important details to the surveillance state and to the, the corporate overlords? Well, I mean, let me answer that question just by quickly pointing out some of the devices that I have here. I, I have the uh, a Windows Surface, a Microsoft Surface Book, uh, which, you know, of course, is running Windows 10, uh, and, and a Chrome with the Google browser, and of course, Google browser running on everything. I, I figured that everybody is listening to me at all times, and that's okay. Um, 
I've, you know, if, if people want to listen to something pretty mundane and boring, but you know, you really hit on a, on a key issue. It's not just about the privacy, but also the security. Cause let's reframe this conversation in terms of the internet of things or the internet of everything. I mean, right? So, because we're talking about putting all these devices, all these things that are connected to the internet and the, and the cloud and they're collecting data about us. And of course it is privacy. Um, but there's, a lot of these things will eventually be able to do things. Uh, it's not just about collecting information, but how is that information going to be used against us? And yeah. so there's a lot of security issues that we need to sort of think through. And I was, I ran into a stunning statistic. I, I remember not really paying attention to the Internet of Things until I wrote a blog entry for TCA. And I think it was my first or second blog entry about the Internet of Things, and it just blew my mind. Uh, I think it was 50 billion devices will be connected by 2018, yeah, 2020. Crazy. Yeah, it's, it, and I'm sure it's even more. And I was just reading it's like 34 billion by 2020, creating a $6 trillion industry. And, you know, so, it, and we're going to be able to access all this data and it's accessible. And it, I, I don't know. I, Pretty soon you'll just sort of walk into a one of the I, I forgot what a Faraday cage just to get privacy so that you'll be safe from all the things that are listening to you. But have you seen Snowden yet, the movie? I have not. I heard you saw it this weekend, though. Yeah, we did, and uh, and Jay, and you might have heard us in that um, in that episode saying that we've yeah put in an ISTE proposal for digital citizenship in the age of the surveillance state. Uh, I think there's a lot of important things here for us to to explore and weigh. For instance, I don't know that I'm going to be putting a a door lock, you know, a, an app opening door lock on the front of our house. I mean, the uh, the opportunities for hacking and and security are are just are stunning. And um, but let's be honest. I mean, people are gonna you're gonna eventually have to succumb to this. I mean, are you really gonna want to give up the convenience of your mobile phone? Well, of course not. You switch to the latest and greatest mobile device that invades your privacy every moment of your day, knows where you're at, everything else. Why do you do that? Because I'm sure you're not carrying a Faraday pouch around, Wes. So it's like uh, it must be simply because you want the convenience of that technology. And at some point, the convenience is going to outweigh our privacy and security concerns, and we're going to succumb to that, and that's it. So we will be... Using, uh, you know, we'll walk up to our door. It'll recognize us using the RFID chip oh, that's implanted in our in yeah. our hand, and go from there. Yeah. Well, in the in the chat, Diana and Mark are. Diana says she has an echo, is not worrying about others listening, and Mark, uh, you know, is talking about being more concerned about whoever's you know doing the coding for the AI. Uh, Mark comments that they need to, to uh, code in morality or morals. You know, and and who is that person who's you know coding in the morality? I mean, and that is one of the important things. Let's let's take it to the educational lens, right? We hear about coding in school. We hear about STEM. It is really important to uh, you know let's let's get on the Seymour Papert bandwagon to help students become active agents of um, of uh, of creation in in the digital world where they're not just consuming, but they're you know, writing code, and they're recognizing that there are decisions that are being made for these folks that are that are creating these things. So, um, I don't know. I think th- it's it's imp- it's important not to just be naively passive amidst all of this. 
Um, I have a, a pretty good friend who I've only get to visit with every few years, but his last job in the Air Force was uh, working for DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Agency, and uh, he now works for Lockheed. And there's <laughs> there's things that I've read that say that, you know, the DARPA and the military are 10 to 20 years ahead of where we are as consumers now. Um, so there is an inevitability to some of this that it's going to happen and it's going to become more normal. But what a lot of us assume naively, I think, is benevolent overlords. <laughs> and the fact that you don't know, first off, that anything's hackable. So if, if I am, for instance, logging my, my weight and having my, my body mass index or whatever put in here, what what is to prevent a company you know in the future from using that information and and making insurance decisions about me or i don't know doing things of course you can see from the video i'm extremely fit and really am on a great exercise plan actually selfies have absolutely tried to encourage yeah have encouraged me to try to reconsider that so hey yay miguel got into the chat so that's awesome I'm so sorry. It took me so long to get there, but I see no, that uh, Mark right. is in there and uh, uh, very excited. Uh, I hope I hope uh, Mark was around when I was talking about uh, his comments. And uh, I, I guess I better not use his name now when I when I quote him. <laughs> well, um, but yeah, how, how how Miguel? How let me ask you this AI question. How do you think? I mean, what should we be doing in schools? What, and I'm not asking you to speak for TCA, but for speaking as for Miguel, what do you think about coding and preparing kids for the world of AI? Like, if we have a crystal ball, I would definitely agree with the thesis of this article, and I think the the other one with with President Obama that that AI is going to have a huge and increasing role in the future. Okay, so if we realize that, what does that mean for us in schools today? I have to tell you, I am thoroughly frightened frightened, terrified that I do not have those skills in my skill set. So um, when I think about learning how to program all these things, I, I get really scared, I, that I, a high level of anxiety, because I think as we go forward, if I don't know how to do these things, I can't pass them on to, to teachers and educators, and they won't be able to pass them on to kids. And if our kids don't have these skills – then they're gonna. They've already lost. Uh, we're going to be. I mean, it. It, it really is sort of like a, uh, you know, space race again because uh, it's the coding race. If you can't, if you can't uh, control the devices that that people use to communicate and to build these um, these new networks uh, that are they're gonna pop up. Uh, based, you know, things being connected to each other, then I, I think you, you, you're just sort of you're, you're destined to be a consumer. Well, here's the thing, though, because and and Peggy put into the chat, does anyone have those skills in their skill set? She doubts it among educators. I don't think we're talking about being able to, you know, code your own AR or AI, you know, interface or being able to operate at that level. I think part of the advocacy here is is just for is for critical thinking and it is for for problem solving and and people being um, you know good citizens when it comes to information and, and digital literacy and and not just it. because I think the advocacy that we do it's important and and I, I want to encourage everyone for the record to watch Snowden whether you go see it at the theater or you uh, you rent it or or watch it on Netflix later or whatever you know see this film it's an important film. And 
the advocacy that we will do or will not do around the issues of government surveillance as well as corporate uh, surveillance and data gathering, you know, can ha can make a difference. Um, you know, the question is, are we, you know, sort of like the the frog, you know, being cooked in the in the pot, warmed warmed slowly, and then you know, pretty soon it's boiling and it's too late. Um, but I I don't know I. We're talking more at our school. This is the first year that we have a upper division um, computer coding class and, and computer, well, computer science classes. And there's a there's a growing awareness that we need to we need to be moving in this direction. And I think you know Scratch and what what MIT does. I was looking today. There was an article about sharing Scratch projects on Google Classroom. There is so much wonderful thinking and problem solving and and, and uh, computational thinking, right? That can happen. So I don't know. I wouldn't sell yourself short, thinking that hey, I can't, you know, I can't code in this and I can't keep up with this because I think there are a lot of skills that we've been trying to cultivate for a number of years when it comes to digital literacy and technology um, that that do tie into coding and tie into um, just be also being being critical citizens. So. Yeah, and and uh, you know, I guess the other part of that is how are we making, how are we scaffolding and supporting teachers who don't necessarily have those skill sets, mm -hmm. like myself, uh, and getting them in. I have to share another experience that I had. Um, I, I recently had the opportunity to to visit uh, uh, Washington, and uh, I, I was DC or state, Spokane, okay. Washington. Yep. And the state, and uh, it, it was a amazing experience because I got to attend uh, creative coding through games and apps training. Uh, it was a two day session, and uh, what I what really sort of grabbed me about it was, and, and you know, I have to go back to March because I just went uh, last month, and then but if you go back to March, someone said, Miguel, how would you like to learn about creative coding through games and apps? And I said. Coding? I don't think so. I, I can't program. I haven't been able to program since I was 13 years old, and I tried, and I just couldn't get it done. And and uh, but as I was reading more about it, it it was uh, teaching programming for non-programmers, mm -hmm. and so that was an amazing opportunity. So I said, I'll give it a shot. And I think that's what people are finding out is that coding has changed dramatically over the years. It's not just some some guy sitting in a in a in a dark closet as as one of my 17 year old friends was um writing a program and code in a text editor it's now very touch enabled and and i tried to paste a, a link to uh, touch develop which i don't know if you've seen Wes, but it's really worth checking out because it works on chrome uh ios every every platform and it's intended to be a touch programming and it comes with some great um tools and resources but you know back to the idea of you know we still need to teach those morals i mean martha was talking about in the chat about um you know religious texts and things like that but it, it's so important that students i mean students are going to play around and i just saw a tweet earlier today i forget who it was but she said she never thought that she would have to teach kids how to um not include inappropriate jokes into their into the code of the, or their programs. Isn't oh, that, wow. <laughs> see, you have to have those digital citizenship mm -hmm. conversations. Absolutely. Well, Mark uh, made a good comment about teaming. You know, larger coding projects and apps um, are, are frameworks that have been created with teams of programmers. 
the connection I'm making here is something I learned writing my dissertation and, and, and going further with the academic publishing. And this was great news for me because it was not fun to take these, you know, multivariate analysis and statistics and thinking, yuck, I do not want to live and breathe this. And my aha was if I want to go down that path of being an academic researcher, I don't have to live and breathe SPSS and multivariate analysis. I can buddy up with people who do. In fact, I even did for my dissertation um, who, you know, shout out to, to uh, my friend Mark here at Rose State who, without his assistance, I would not have gotten to finish. I think the same thing is true in coding, right? Because storytelling and interactive adventure and all of these things are, are moving into the, and have, are, have moved into the game space. It's not just about, you know, the screen where we're watching one linear plot. And so th there's a lot of exciting possibility and potential. And I think we want to, we want to energize not only students, but your point is well taken that we want to, to look at energizing and equipping teachers and providing experiences that really help us gain confidence and knowledge and then, you know, the, the ability to then take that to students and how, how do we introduce those experiences to them. Yeah, yeah. I want to segue, if I can, to another article that we've got in here uh, that's the Voices of DARPA podcast. Uh, it's called Molecule Man from September 27th. It's available on YouTube as well as SoundCloud. And uh, DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, is a pretty highly classified organization, and their purpose is to enhance the warfighting capabilities of the United States military and, bottom line, prevent another Pearl Harbor. That was pretty much why they were founded. Um, but they have done a lot of other things. They, they, they interestingly, I mean, there's a ton of stuff they do we have no idea about, <clears throat> but they also do things like, you know, the autonomous robot in the desert, you know, competition that uh, – has attracted all kinds of uh, attention and innovators. And anyway, this was, this was about 3D printing molecules. And so this guy who is one of their project managers has these different, you know, companies competing uh, basically to have an open source project where if you are in need of a particular molecule, you won't have to guess how you create it and, and iterate a lot in the lab. You'll, you'll literally be able to plug it into a machine similar to a 3D printer, and then you'll be able to fabricate those kinds of molecules to then build things. Uh, gosh, some of the stuff, um, I think I'm trying to, Alec Ross, Industries of the Future, great book. I listened to it on Audible. He talks about genomics and biotech and it, as I think about my own children, you know, my daughter, who's middle daughter, Sarah, who's thinking about, you know, do I maybe want to be a doctor or be a PA? And she's in, you know, second year of chemistry now, you know, and it's tough. But, wow, there's going to be incredible opportunities. And if we think there's a digital divide now, I mean, the people who are, you know, fabricating molecules and <laughs> there's a lot of moral and ethical implications here, but, you know, architecting DNA strands and, you know, creating new, um, you know, types of agricultural products. I mean, it's, we are living in the Star Trek day today with some of this stuff. And so I think it's, um, it's, it's, it's energizing from a STEM standpoint to point kids in these directions and, and, and teachers, I guess it also is a little bit scary um, you know, and, and, you, and the pace of change and those kind of things to think about, oh my gosh, you know, 
slow down a little bit. But I want to point people to that podcast, and that's definitely a, a great episode, and I look forward to future ones. That's As far as I know, that's the first time DARPA has, has had a, a podcast. So you're probably all into the know living in San Antonio about the military-industrial complex and everything that's happening in the San Antonio region, aren't you, Miguel? Are you just like you – Not at all. I'm hardly ever here. I'm in Austin most of the time or out on the road. In Washington State. Yeah, Washington State. And Washington. Um, yeah, so uh, I can't wait to get back to Redmond. But uh, okay. I need, we got to hear more about that. So You should. The uh, uh, You know, the whole point you made about uh, genome, genomics, did I say that right? That, uh, that's incredible. But you think about all the things that are being 3D printed now, whether it's food and all of that, it's it's just incredible. You know, and you mentioned this whole idea of slowing down. Do you, do you ever think, uh, I think that because our kids are growing up, moving so fast with the technologies that, the, that are just starting out now, down the road, they, um, they won't be feeling, I mean, it's not, they'll, they'll be uh, sort of babbling here, but I'm trying to find the right way of it's saying. A new, it's a new normal for speed change. Exactly. That was perfect, Wes. Did you practice, did you know that? Have you had this conversation before? So that's good. You've said that before. Yeah, the new normal. It's my connection to you, Miguel, as my, as my Yoder mentor. Wow. The, the the source of ed tech innovation you've you've just infused me with your your intellect yeah that's, no that's so just I think you're right I mean normal normal changes and it's changing faster and it's I don't know I'm certainly valuing the disconnect and the slowdown now more than I ever have this past summer we had a week of you know offline camping in Colorado. I am trying to build that actually into my daily schedule to have more more quiet time and more, you know, contemplative study time. And um, I, yeah, it's we. And in fact, at school, we, we're doing more resilience training. It, it's an interesting parallel because my, you know, Shelley's school, um, all the students are homeless, high levels of stress, lots of trauma. The same person who works primarily with them working on meditation strategies, resilience, you know, uh, being able to uh, collect yourself and uh, acknowledge emotions but not be, you know, taken over by them. Same one working with our kids at Cassidy, uh, you know, very elite private school in Oklahoma City, and I, I find that interesting. So, you know, wherever you might find yourself on the socioeconomic stress continuum today, uh, these things are important, and, and and I don't think it would be it'd probably be like a digital native fallacy to just say ah oh, these kids today they're just gonna you know keep on sucking this up as fast as possible. Normal is different, and their ability to adapt to change I'm sure is going to be different, um, but it's still going to be important to slow down. And that's probably something else to think about with teachers and with students as well. So you find it, this, how does TCA cultivate that? Do you do you all uh, in terms of team building and learning and, and taking time out is that are you part of a of a team or are you just kind of by yourself or how does how does that all work for you in your life right now uh as far as the team that you're on so uh to respond to the first part of that question the um i think one of the things that was really amazing about um uh, tca was being uh, a part of or being able to play ping pong one time because they had a ske- have scheduled brain breaks so uh, but i noticed that I jumped into the brain breaks when I was first there, but as time has passed, I'm now more likely to stay and continue on task or whatever project I'm working on. So I'm, I'm more engaged 
in um, like flow. Yeah, I'm in the flow. I'm in the zone, and you know what I mean. And it's like, and so when you're in the zone, you don't want to leave the zone, whether for a brain break or not. But stepping out is is all the more important when you're in the zone. You have to break out and go over there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so easy to just be addicted to that to that feeling and then continue. Mm-hmm. And of course, the the pace of projects that that you're working on can also be. Um, I mean, you, you don't want to stop working because the perception is. Oh, if I stop working, then I'm going to lose time uh, on this without realizing that if you break, take that break, you'll you'll hopefully come back a little bit more refreshed and able to uh, um, hit it from a different angle. The second part of your question was, uh, are you alone, working by yourself? And yes, you are to to some degree, and and I really enjoy that. Um, yeah, I remember a lot of people are are. You know, there's a lot of. I'm comfortable with being an introvert. I'm going to guess that you're an extrovert, Wes. But uh, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> as an introvert, I, I can I can hang out and be by myself. I, I don't necessarily draw energy from other people. I, I I lose it when I'm with others. Although there are are times when I can I definitely have to indulge that. But uh, um, synergy though is is incredibly important when you're creating content and i'm so grateful i mean i've got diana diana's in the chat i mean uh collaborating with with diana on a project or with some of the other folks that are on the team it, it it's really powerful experience because you're, you're not alone i mean we're, we're thinking about uh rolling out minecraft edu we're not thinking about it we're going to uh, yeah, minecraft edu awesome. and, and um i just read your blog entry on that by the way uh Wes, about the uh, moving from the old Minecraft to the new Minecraft and all the concerns about that. Right. And um, so we, we definitely need to have just a conversation about Minecraft. It would be great to, to talk about that. But Yes. Yeah. Um, so we're planning it, and uh, it's kind of funny how it's represented uh, when we were talking. Our team leader was, was sharing, uh, okay, so-and-so, you're going to work on the face-to-face sessions. So-and-so, you're going to work on the webinars, and you're going to do – um, something else. So I don't remember what it was, but you know, I was thinking, golly, we, it's so easy to go off into our respective corners and, and, you know, work on something and then come back out and ta-da, look what we developed. But it's so powerful to have people connect up front and then figure out how are all these pieces going to connect and then go off and develop and then come mm-hmm. back. And that way you seem to allow that, those connections to, you get that vibrant connection, but you also get the opportunity to uh, be creative and develop on your own. Mark so, mentioned, Mark mentioned um, uh, working in teams and and production teams as well. This makes me think about, or and he mentioned code.org. You know, those code.org videos show these amazing places in Silicon Valley. You know, with with Google and and. Uh, Oh, who makes Steam? Um, whatever companies, just these really creative places with food and and places to play ping pong and and maybe rock climb and you know be active, but then work intensively. Um, I don't know. I I think that those kinds of spaces are exciting to, to think about from a learning standpoint, because there's an active, you know, fun, uh, also brain break you know, encouragement by the environment itself. And then there's also, you know, obviously this, this opportunity to have very focused, uh, you know, work either individually or together. So I'd love to see schools look a little bit more like that, I think. Well, I think that there's a, well, there, are, there is a lot of people pushing, 
competing visions for how schools should be. And uh, I, I really want to go back. I, I wonder sometimes if teachers know what schools should be. I remember what schools were when I was a classroom teacher, where I had the flexibility to develop lessons and teach them. And then if they didn't work as that well, I could modify and, uh, and adapt them. Uh, and uh, now that time as a teacher seems to have been lost. It's basically you're implementing what others think is is valuable and correct. And if you screw up, you're not screwing up so that you can learn. You're screwing up because you didn't match the vision that someone else had that you would never be able to implement the way they imagined it. And so you're, you're, you were striving for ideal other people's ideals. And, and I think it's just a... It's just wrong. Uh, um, that's not teaching for me. That's uh, and that's probably why we've seen so many teachers leave profession, the profession, but also see teachers that are not engaged. Or and uh, I want. I, I mean, I don't remember this many teachers engaging in poor behavior, uh, drugs in schools, everything else that they're doing. And it's like, I think it's because they're not engaged. They're, it's not real for them. It's not. It's not grabbing them at an emotional level, and they're not learning. Um, the way that uh, they need to be if they have the ownership. You and know, time, ownership, and ex- that experience is just not there for them the way it was for perhaps you and I. Shout out to Microsoft and Minecraft EDU because for schools that will enable teachers to have freedom to create and imagine and build together with students, you know, what a different environment that is from the world of the scripted curriculum and the, you know, benchmark test every, every several weeks and, and all of that. Well, we have about uh, 10 minutes uh, till the top of the hour, and we normally go go about an hour, and we're still going to need to do our Geeks of the Week. Um, I want to do at least one more article here. Um, one of these will just be a mention, I guess. YouTube is having a, a Creator Studio Boot Camp that's going through October 25th that you can sign up for free. And uh, I've signed up, and uh, I'm I'm very interested to see how Google, you know, does sort of MOOCs and, and is doing learning for that kind of thing. I... Personally, pardon me, haven't jumped on the bandwagon for, you know, Google certified innovator, certified trainer, and those kinds of things. But anyway. You haven't? Uh, I'm no. shocked. I know. Can you believe it? What am I doing with my time? Um, but uh, I've, I have signed up for this, and I'm going to be uh, tasting a little bit of this. I don't think I'm going to be – I'm not going to be completing it. Um, but the, the last article I want to do a shout-out for was Huffington Post Canada on October 4th. Uh, what are predatory – open access journals, and why should we worry? And it was talking about how in the world of academic publishing, uh, we have some unscrupulous folks that have seized a hold of this idea of the open access journal, which would be the journal you don't have to pay for people to read. You, uh, In these cases, you pay in order to get your work into these journals. Uh, but rampant plagiarism, and there was a... a, a I don't know what you would call this. Um, well, this guy, uh, Bial, has a blacklist of journals, uh, seeing that they're, that they're on the list. But basically, you know, getting uh, getting your work published is, you know, pu- publish or perish is still the the name of the game in, in a lot of academia. In 2013, they did a sting operation, uh, Science Magazine did, uh, basically who put very flawed fake manuscripts and put it out to 304 open access publishers and 157 of them, you know, accepted the paper. That was a criticism of open access journals more generally. Um, but now we have, you know, actually um, 
you know, organizations that are that are just looking to profit from this, essentially setting up a, a publishing mill. And, um, you know, hopefully there's going to be more advanced tools to be able to, you know, filter the, the credibility of these things. But it points to digital literacy. It points to the need that we have to not, not believe everything we, we read online. And, um, you know, even when it says academic journal, you know, what is that? They, it even said these these fake journals are, are definitely using, you know, titles like global da-da-da, the world, blah, 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 just to sound, you know, a little bit more impressive. Predatory journals publish anything and pay little to no attention to serious ethical violations such as fabrication of data and plagiarism. So, I don't know. They sound like a great description of blogs. Well, that's kind of what I was thinking, too. It's like, here's the world of publishing, right? We've had these gatekeepers in the past that, oh, if it was in the journal, then it was, you know, definitely worth reading. Um, do you have any good sage advice for, for teachers working with students wanting to help develop their their uh, critical thinking and, and literacy as far as crap detecting and being able to choose what to believe and not? Well, it makes me think of the, uh, was it uh, the the tried and true examples. I bet you can think of these right off the top of your head. Uh, what are the two most popular websites used to teach um, digital literacy and, and being able to double-check your sources? Snopes. Can you, can, okay, Snopes. But think of the two, uh, well, I, I'll, I'll save you the trouble. But, yeah, Snopes is great. But you, you remember the, was it the tree octopus? Oh, yeah, sure. They, the Northwest yeah. Tree Octopus, and, and that same guy has like a uh, Yeti uh, Bigfoot. Uh, and yeah. the Martin Luther King uh, website about Stormfront. Uh, yeah. Stormfront, exactly. Yeah. So those right. are, I mean, those are classic sites that, that are used um, to, to teach this and, and get the idea across that you really need to check your sources as much as possible. But now that anybody can publish, um, it, I love open access journals. They're wonderful. I mean, it's much better than than uh, the closed uh, peer review journals that that we probably grew up with. And and uh, I don't know what I do without uh, some of those journals. Um, I have a long list. I can't list or or mention one written by name off the top of my head. But there's it's just you know this really seems like a description of blogs. I mean, uh, yeah. The world, the world of open publishing has come to academic journals. Hello, That's we've right. been dealing with this since 2005. So yeah, so it's not that big of a deal. I I think it's it, it will eventually shake itself out in the sense that uh, our everybody will become a little bit uh, warier and uh, I don't want to say cynical. They'll just be they'll get smarter about what what they rely on. And the idea of a trusted you know, voice, who are you going to believe? So maybe we'll be more serious uh, about that. Obviously, we're going to believe West Fryer, but uh, it, it is it, it's. Um, of course, this is this is all about. Uh, I mean, just think about Fox News versus MSNBC and CNN. Do any of those uh, uh, outlets provide, uh, I guess, a bias-free reporting environment? That's what we're talking about here. We're, we're trying to get away from the bias and the, and the false information and everything else. So. Or identify the bias, right? Be able to name it and, and point to it, and then you know contrast that with other perspectives, and then try to discern what what you're going to believe or what you're going to except so all right well i think we need to go to geeks of the week and at risking just certain love of microsoft which is 
an extremely scary proposal. Uh, Miguel has several geeks of the week, and they have a common – Google Duo is a Google, but two of your oh my gosh. are Microsoft-loving really- Microsoft uh, apps. But you know what? We do want people to use their tools well, whatever they happen to be. So tell us about your geeks of the week this, this week, Miguel. Okay, so um, you, you know we all know about all the great iPad apps and, and all the apps that are out there. We know about all the great Google tools, and I think all of those have been overexposed. What hasn't been put out there as much, and um, as I was sharing with you, Wes, you know, this is an experience that sort of just knocked me over the head. Is um, I found myself in a situation just just a few short years ago where OneNote uh, would have been the, the answer to a problem, uh, especially OneNote class notebook would have been a, the answer to a problem um, for a teacher, and I did not propose it because uh, we were a Google Apps for Education school district, and uh, so. I completely missed that as an opportunity, and uh, I, I want to make sure that I don't make that mistake again where I've closed my eyes to to great solutions just because they come from a particular vendor. Um, so we, we know Apple, Google, and Microsoft, I've listed those in alphabetical order, are, are all competing for, for, for the heart and soul of schools and, and districts. And, uh, you know, I, I think we'll pretty soon see Amazon, if we haven't already, um, out there with their with their products. OneNote is a phenomenal app. I was a heavy duty Evernote user, and I explored practically every other note taking tool that there was out there, including Google Keep, um, Centralo, uh, Notes, and uh, gosh, a few others that I've already forgotten. Um, and uh, of them all, OneNote is I, I think is the best, and and. Uh, it works flawlessly with everything that I've tried to do with it. I've set up uh, OneNote online. I'm, I'll post, I mean, if you go to like ly.tca.org forward slash connect, you'll find all my free resources uh, that I've created or accessed uh, while working at TCA since March of this year. And it's just an incredible app. I've put all my, I've moved over 10,000 notes from Evernote into OneNote. How many notes? 10,000 plus. That's what so. I thought you said. Yeah, I'm a heavy Evernote user. I've used Evernote for everything because it really organized my life. I mean, if you think about all the things that you collect, whether online or in paper, there's no one place where they would all go and be easily accessible and searchable and everything. And OneNote makes that possible. And uh, I was using Evernote for a while, but they've gone crazy on the way that they're yeah. financing it and everything. Wow. I think yeah. they're about to, I mean, they've it, lost crashing. their way. Yes, they have. So, um, so OneNote was my, uh, and I tried every other app except that. I mean, except OneNote. And then I was like, why haven't I been using OneNote? This thing is incredible. So now I'm using it for just about everything. It's it, it is. This is the awesome. digital note taking AA. Hi, Miguel. Hi, I'm a note taker too. I tried all the other apps anyway. I'm you're you're convincing me. I think I'm <laughs> I think I'm gonna have to do, do it because seriously, folks, how many times do you hear Miguel Gulen say? I have tried everything else, and this was it. So, I, I have. I have tried. I have, no, I believe you. So, I mean, if you do a Google search on mgulen space uh, OneNote space Evernote space Google Keep space Centralo, you will pull up all of the comparison chart, or just type in Notes comparison chart. That'll probably bring it up just as fast. And so, it, it is pretty incredible to have that. Now, OneNote. Um, 
of course, I have to mention one note for teachers. If you if you click the link that's in the uh, what do you call these show notes, show notes yeah. uh, um, you will access tons of tutorials for teachers that are, that are available and accessible there. And and then um, Office three sixty five districts uh, have access to uh, one note class notebook, which is simply phenomenal. Um, whether you use it with Microsoft Classroom or Google Classroom or Blackboard or uh, Edmodo or Schoology or It's Learning, because it connects to over 32 LMSs, um, it is a phenomenal tool to use. Um, it really makes the reality of, of paperless classrooms possible. But you could still use OneNote with, in a classroom with kids, and they would be running it, and it's all free. It runs on every device, including Kindle Fires, believe it or not. So it, it, it is just incredible. Okay, enough about that. Uh, Microsoft Selfie. Now, this one's pure vanity. Um, I, for fun, I, I was trying out all the free apps that uh, I could find on Microsoft because, you know, I completely missed Office Lens for so long. And then uh, uh, John Bimmerly um, here in Texas told me about um, Microsoft Selfie. He said, try that out. And I did, and it immediately removed like 10 years off my face. Wes, oh my gosh! I need that. Will it help me lose weight? Huh? Will it help I, me lose weight? Well, I don't know if it'll help you lose weight, Wes, but uh, it will certainly <laughs> make your face look like you're wearing a little bit of makeup. You know what I mean? You, you know how the uh, I'm downloading it now. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I I I took I've taken pictures of it with uh, you know when I'm doing a workshop or something and I'm standing next to somebody and we take a selfie and we immediately look both look younger and I think it makes people feel better about themselves when I, that I'm going to post this picture that uh, Microsoft Selfie has prepared and I took a picture of myself and it removed the dark circles under my eyes and I was like I think I like myself in that picture more than I do in the mirror it's, and you know that's that's sort of what technology is about it's seeing your life reflected <laughs> in the tech and pretty soon you escape slip loose the bonds of earth you, you know this because in the world the way we'd like to see it that's right. And then, so those are my two um, geeks of the week, um, mainly because, you know, I think we need to shine the light into dark corners to find uh, technologies that uh, maybe we've overlooked because we're um, brainwashed by uh, other companies. And then uh, Google Duo, as I mentioned before, is just a phenomenal, if only every other voice over IP app uh, or video chat app was as easy to use as Google Duo, I think, um, so if you're not using it, you need to because you can instantly connect. We, we should be doing this whole conversation instead of going through YouTube Live and playing around with the settings. Everything should be as easy as Google Duo. Does Google Duo, though, save to YouTube? Can you publish right to YouTube? Wes, you know what? I'm going to ask you to make this your Geek of the Week for the next show and to find out for us and then let us know okay. whether it, it does that. I but, accept your challenge. Very well. We'll see. Okay. My Geeks of the Week, uh, number one. Simple footnotes, uh, WordPress plugin. I am continuing to work on a few different writing projects very intermittently, but this last weekend was working on one and needed a way in a WordPress site to just have a nice footnote that would go to the bottom of the page, and this free plugin uh, did the trick. just lets you put in um, bracket ref for reference in bracket and then bracket slash ref in bracket. And um, I love... Uh, what did I uh, 
I'm trying to think. Easy Bib is my favorite uh, bibliographic tool. I use that for pretty much my whole dissertation. So just grabbing some, uh, you know, article links, putting them into Easy Bib to get them in APA format, throw them in there, and they're nice, nice on the footnote. And then the second one, th this is amazing. If you don't follow this this uh, Twitter account, the kids should see this. All right, amazing. Just one of wow. the most, one of the best uh, sources of curiosity links when I was teaching STEM uh, the last couple of years. Uh, but this one, we just had Hurricane Matthew, of course, uh, sort of ravage the, the east coast of Florida and, and go up into the Carolinas. And so this link is called an Earth Wind Map, and it is taking the data. And on a touchscreen, you can pinch in and zoom, and it's just amazing how it shows, you know, the current winds, and especially when there's a tropical storm uh, or hurricane-level storm uh, active Pretty cool, and being the geography-loving guy that I am, I love anything like that that helps us visualize geographic relationships and weather phenomena, so definitely worth it. Wes, that, that is awesome. It allows you to zoom in, zoom out. Uh, I'm zooming into the Republic of Panama, and uh, just I'm kind of curious about it. And It's just beautiful. I mean, you could just put this on a big screen and, and watch mm. it all day. The uh, I have to say, though, I, I do know that you're a geography fanatic because I still remember the, what is it, Oh, you paused, Miguel. I'm not hearing you. We've had an interruption. We had a perfect show, and we may have to do a little bit of editing. Are you still there? Maybe it's me. Hey, Rachel, can you pause? I didn't actually ask my children to. When I say children, we have one child at home. I think our Internet's still up. Huh. We had a freeze on our show. Well, I am not sure what has happened to our friend Miguel Gulen. I think we are still broadcasting. Actually, let me look at the chat. If you are still watching in the live chat, are you all able to still to still hear me? Huh, yeah, Miguel is down. Miguel is out for the count. Maybe he's going to dial back, back in. If he is, I will have to edit this, and maybe we'll, we'll edit through. Um, usually what we do at this part of the show as we're wrapping up, and we're actually going a few minutes uh, late, is just to tell everybody – uh, how to make contact with us. So I will share them for myself. And if Miguel joins, I'll let him uh, share. You can find me on Twitter at WFryer. My blog is speedofcreativity.org. And that's the, those are the primary places where I'm sharing. I do want to give a special shout out to the Classroom 2.0 Live community. And this coming Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, my wife Shelly is going to be the feature teacher and she'll be sharing her first live webinar in Blackboard Collaborate. And that's going to be exciting. It'll also be archived, uh, but I'll put a link to that in our show notes as well. If you'd like to get in touch with Miguel Gulen, you can find him on Twitter at mgulen. That's M-G-U-H-L-I-N. You can find out more about him at his website, which is mgulen.net. And he's also got a website, tcamg.org. And I don't think I've even ever visited that before. So he shared those as links. So as always, we encourage you to check out our uh, full links, full list of show notes that you'll find at edtechsr.com slash links. We appreciate Marta and Peggy and Mark joining us live. Thank you so much for your discussion and contributions in the chat room. And in addition to being able to see the archived recording of this on YouTube, we have a 32 kilobit audio version 
uh, and a 360p video version that we publish on our website, edtechsr.com. So please take a moment and fill out our listener survey that you'll find at the top of the show notes. Let us know if you're listening to the show, where you are, and anything in particular you'd like to hear us talk about in the future. Um, Jason Neifer, my Almost always weekly co-host is uh, on the road, and he will um, not only be not only was out this week, but he's probably going to be out the next two weeks. So I am hopeful, and I think that we're going to be able to have special guests next week from the state of Maine that we we will be announcing on the EdTech SR Twitter channel soon. And we also, because we'll have Maine guests, might move the time a little earlier. So you might look for us next week, probably starting at 7 p.m. Central Time. That's 8 p.m. Eastern. That would be two hours earlier than we normally are on Wednesday night. So thank you so much for tuning in. Have a great week and keep thinking critically and keep sharing and collaborating because as educators and learners in the 21st century, that is one of our secrets for not only surviving, but thriving. Take care.